My children have been laughing at me this weekend. They say I've got the crazy eyes. Um, I don't know. If my I got a. I don't know exactly what it was. Some kind of irritation in my left eye, and so um, after a trip to the emergency room and then the eye doctor, um, he has dilated my left eye, and so it is fully dilated. So I can see you guys pretty well. You're a little fuzzy. So um, it ought to be a little bit of an experience this morning, an adventure. And uh, we'll pray that God sees us through it. So if I start wavering a little bit, it's not that I'm going to pass out. I may need to hold the <laughs> and just regather myself. Please hear God's Word. Philippians 1. Uh, verses 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that I saw, that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we have read Your Word and as I have the privilege to proclaim it, I pray that You would apply Your Word to our heart and uh, help us to embrace it. And in so doing, embrace Your providence, Your care, Your wisdom. And through it all, become more like Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen. Last week we saw that the Apostle Paul was commanding the Christians in Philippi to live a life worthy of the Gospel. And by that, he was telling the Philippians that they must be willing to live their faith out publicly, out in the marketplace, out in their community, uh, not just in their homes, not just in their churches, but to, to live out their faith in Jesus Christ in a public manner. So some of the Philippians were doing this already. But because of the Roman authorities who would not tolerate anyone having any other king but Caesar, and because of the Jewish religious authorities who were, um, were against the Christians, then some of these Philippian Christians some of these Christians in Philippi had been imprisoned. Others had been uh, mistreated. And so others in the church in Philippi decided that it wasn't worth it to live their faith out publicly. And so Paul has received this report from Epaphroditus that there are some Philippians um, who are shrinking back in their faith. And so instead of Paul saying, yes, I understand things are difficult, Paul doubles down. And he said that it was a calling for the entire congregation to live their lives out publicly and not just for a few Christians. He said that the congregation, verses 20, uh, 27 and 28, must stand firm for the Gospel. They must be of one mind, of one spirit. They must strive side by side for the faith of the Gospel. 
And so the application that I made last week was that all of us must strive to live our faith publicly. To live for Jesus Christ in such a way that people are able to see your faith and you must be willing to suffer the ill effects of people's opposition or their irritation. And again, I was not calling us to be in people's face. I was not calling us to be irritating. But the Scripture calls us to live our life out publicly or live our faith out publicly in Jesus Christ. So, that's what God's Word taught us last week. And because God's Word must be embraced wholeheartedly by all His people, I hope that all of you are willing to do that. But I assume some of you embrace the exhortation to live your faith out publicly more eagerly than others. This week, we're not going to really focus on uh, living our life out or living our faith out publicly. Rather, we're going to talk about something that hopefully everybody will embrace as being very positive. We're going to talk about embracing God's best gifts. Do you want what's, what's best for you? Or I'm sorry. Do you want uh, Do you want God's best? For you, do you want the best that He has to offer? Um, and are you eager to receive God's best gifts? I trust that you are eager, and so I want you to keep that positive, eager attitude as we work our way through the passage. First of all, I want you to look at verses twenty-nine. It, Paul says, "For it has been granted." To you. This idea of granted. See this word granted? It's the word in Greek, charis. It's translated granted. Uh, it's also the word used for giving a gift. And it's in the passive voice. The passive voice means that the object is being acted upon. Um, let me try and illustrate it this way. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, a, a big wasp landed here on the pulpit right as I was beginning to preach. And um, I ended up killing the wasp. The wasp contributed nothing to its death. Um, it did not intend to die when it landed on the pulpit. Uh, it was simply minding its own, bus- minding its own business when I uh, smote it with the Word. Um, actually, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a Bible. It was a, it was a hymnal. But uh, I'm a preacher and it's more cool to say that I've always wanted to smote something or someone with a Word. And so um, I hit it. Uh, it didn't kill it. It stunned it. And so it flew back here behind me. And uh, then I turned around and squashed it beneath the sole of my shoe. The wasp did not contribute anything to its death. The wasp did not want to die. But I did the killing. The wasp perceived the result of my action. 
you can imagine me, if you could imagine me speaking with Clint Eastwood's voice, I did the killing, but the wasp did the dying. And this is, I acted upon the wasp. And this whole encounter in terms of the dying, in, in terms of it being killed, it was acting passively. It did not want to die. I acted upon it. It received the result. The reason why I bring this up is because God here is offering us a gift. He is offering us here in this passage two of His best gifts. He acts upon us. We receive His action. That's why the word here is... is um, that's translated granted is in the passive voice in the original. So, God has granted us a gift. What is it that He has granted us? Well, again, look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him. And I'm going to stop right there because there is the first of God's best gifts that we have here in this passage. God grants us the gift of faith. We don't get the gift of faith after we believe. Rather, we receive the gift of faith. Therefore, we believe. Every one of you who believes the Gospel and has entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ has only believed and only continues to believe because God has granted you faith. See, most people get this wrong. They tend to believe that they give their faith to God as a gift and God receives our gift of faith and gives us the gift of salvation in return. And they get it completely backwards. God gives us the gift of faith. Therefore, we trust in Christ and receive the gift of salvation. So the gift of salvation is not our initiative. It is God's initiative. He gives us the gift of faith and then we reach out and embrace Him. Listen to the Scriptures. You remember when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? In Matthew 16... Um, Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of a living God. And do you remember what, what Jesus told him? He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's telling Peter, You didn't know this. God revealed it to you. Or remember Lydia, Paul's first convert on the, the continent of Europe? The Scripture says the Lord opened her heart to believe. Or remember John 6.44? Jesus was preaching to the crowds. And He says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him. In verse 65, He says, No one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled Him. Or 1 John 4, chapter 10, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, 
Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we could literally go on and on, passage after passage, that says that God took the initiative, that God is the one who draws us to Himself, that God is the one who grants us the gift of faith. But you you may respond, I was raised by Christian parents. That's why I became a Christian. Or I was witnessed to by so-and-so. That's why I became a Christian. Or I was at the end of my rope and I reached out for God because there was no other place for me to turn. And we could go on and on of how we came to Christ. And my response would be that God uses instruments. He uses secondary means to bring people to Christ. Romans chapter 10 How beautiful are the feet of the person who preaches the good news. I didn't touch the wasp last week. Only the hymnal and the sole of my shoe actually made contact with the wasp. But I killed it. It may have been that someone told you about the Lord Jesus. You may have believed as you were sitting in a church service hearing the Gospel preached. You may have been uh, raised to trust in Jesus Christ from a young child so that you don't even remember when you were converted. You just grew up believing in the Lord Jesus and trusting Him. God uses those means. But it is He who grants faith. It is He who draws us to the Lord Jesus. And so your faith in Christ is a gift from God. I want to make a couple of applications before I move on. The first application is that God does not repeal His gifts. When He gives a person faith, He never takes it back. Now from our perspective, it may seem like our faith is hanging on to God by nothing but a spider's web. But from God's perspective... It's a chain capable of anchoring an aircraft in the middle of a hurricane. How does Romans chapter 8 put it? Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, width or breath, nothing under all creation is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second application. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus, don't lose heart. Cry out to Him. If you're concerned that you don't believe, it's very likely that God is drawing you to Himself. Otherwise, you wouldn't be concerned. Your faith doesn't have to come with the bells and whistles. Just believing my exhortation to believe in Jesus Christ, even at this moment, may be that instrument that God uses to draw you to Himself. In fact, I'd love to be that instrument. But at the same time, I know that it's not me, but it's God's Spirit who does the drawing. I'm up here 
half of you fuzzy, half of you in, in uh, uh, able to see and kind of having an out-of-body experience. Why would God use me? But He uses His Word. He uses His Spirit. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, I need the Lord Jesus. Embrace Him now. But in embracing Him, here's the... That's, you, you receive salvation, but the really good news is it's God drawing you to embracing. So you're not doing this thing on your own. Just like the kids up here, I was, or the, the, the children as we're talking, you know, they may not be able to see God, but God is at work being faithful to all His promises. And He says, if you cry out to Him, you will surely find Him. And you will be found by Him. Second gift. First one, being faith. The second gift is here at the, the end of verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Suffering for Christ's sake is the second of God's good gifts. Paul is telling the Philippians that he knows all about their suffering. And he is saying, your suffering really, indeed, is God's good gift to you. Again, many people get this all wrong in their teaching. They believe that God does not want us to suffer. That God wants us to be happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. This idea of God giving Christians suffering as a good gift is foreign to the theology of many Christians. And so when Christians suffer, many will call their suffering an attack of Satan. Or others will wonder what is wrong with their faith if they are suffering. But God's Word is clear. Just look at our responsive reading. And if you just took the first Peter passage alone, it's clear. Paul understood God sends suffering as a gift. He embraced this teaching. Listen to him in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Well, if he thought this was an attack of Satan, why would he rejoice? If he thought that God had no control in the suffering, where would be his confidence? But he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And you see that? Suffering has a good result. Because he knows God's in control. God is aiming at building his endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And then down near the end of our responsive reading, James 1 verses 2, excuse me, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy. Or count it pure joy. Count it complete joy. No hint of sorrow. No hint of complaining at all. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet 
various when you meet trials of various kinds. The um, the word here, peripateo, is it's not something you meet. It's actually more more along the lines of falling. When you fall into various trials, you're walking along, your eyes are on Jesus, you're having a good time, rejoicing in the Lord, and all of a sudden, boom, you fall into a trial. Unavoidable. It's unavoidable because God's in control of it. He sent it as a good gift to you. And He says, so count it pure joy, all joy, all joy, unmixed joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness must have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Why does God send us trials? Why would... The Apostle Paul tell the Philippians that that he is um, sin, that he is granted it to them on behalf of Christ's sake to suffer. Well, there's a number of different reasons. I'm only going to just barely scratch the surface and say that one of the reasons why God sends trials our way is to build strong habits of faithfulness. Rejoicing in trials produces steadfastness or endurance. And as you endure, your character grows. You become more like Christ. And as your character grows into Christ's likeness, it produces hope. And as hope um, increases, it produces consistency. And you become more and more consistent in your walk with Christ through the gift of trials, through the gift of suffering. Also, God sends us suffering to remind us to seek God. You know, if let's be real. We tend to live pretty self consumed lives. We tend to have our our eyes focused on ourselves, on our circumstances. You know why suffering can seem so big sometimes? It's because it fills our entire vision. All we can see is the suffering that we're going through. And the suffering, when you rejoice in it and look to God, it reminds you to look even above the suffering and to see your Almighty, your great God loves you and is taking care of you. And what happens to these great big trials? They shrink. You have a big God, your trials shrink monumentally. And God sends these sufferings to remind us to seek Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God sent him a trial so awful that he thought he was going to die. And he said, uh, God sent him a trial that he might not rely on himself, but on God. Now, did Paul rely on himself typically? Well, Paul says he does. Does Paul rely on himself or on God more than more than we do? Well, we probably rely on ourselves more than Paul did. Um, Paul probably had a better track record of relying on God than we do. And so if God's going to send Paul a trial that he might not rely on himself... Doesn't it stand to reason He's going to send us trials as well so that we won't rely on ourselves? 
Sinclair Ferguson, in speaking of trials, says that suffering is the friction which polishes our grace because we're reminded to trust in God. And He's He's polishing us, rubbing off the rough edges. Furthermore, uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, apparently God is, is willing to go to any length to make us more like Jesus. Like I said, I could go on and on uh, speaking about trials and still not scratch the surface. Um, I'm going to focus here, just as we get ready to close, um, on suffering and how suffering magnifies your witness. See, what Paul is saying to the Philippians is he is saying to them, God is sending you this suffering. God has granted you as a gift this suffering. And make no mistake, this suffering is severe. But He's doing it. Not for their benefit, but for the benefit of who? For the benefit of the unbelievers. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 he tells them as they're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And so this clear this clear sign is to the unbelievers. You're about to be destroyed if you don't turn to God. But it's also a clear sign to them that these Christians who you're opposing are going to be saved. And what's happening is God wants these unbelievers through this clear sign of these believers suffering and being faithful to Christ in spite of suffering that this salvation is real. Verse 28 can't be read in any other way. And this is really to put the grace of God on full display. God so loved sinners that He sent His one and only Son to die in their place. And He so loves sinners that He is willing to use the suffering of His own children as a witness to them of the reality of His salvation. When a Christian willingly suffers publicly for his or her faith, it is a sermon, it is a gracious sermon from God to that unbeliever that hates God that His salvation is real. That is the reality of God's grace. He is willing to use your life, use your pain, use your suffering in order that another person might receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Cassie Bernal? She was just a Christian student at Columbine High School. She was asked, are you a Christian? She said, yes. And she was, spot, she was uh, shot dead there on the spot. But Christ used her suffering as a witness to countless millions. And so your suffering to take you out of the equation, which is where we really struggle, God might be using your suffering to see another person come to Christ as they see you trusting Christ in the midst of that suffering. Suffering also glorifies Christ. Again, look at verse 29. 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. On behalf of Christ, for His sake. In other words, suffering. Your suffering brings glory to Jesus Christ. God sends suffering into our lives that we might bring glory to King Jesus. When you are daily living with excruciating pain, yet you rejoice in God's providence, then you bring glory to Christ. When you are facing a terminal diagnosis and you say to God, I want to be a witness to my children, to my grandchildren, and to all my friends, then you bring glory to Christ. When you experience afflictions, yet you do not let them become barriers to your pursuit of God, but rather suffering becomes a green light saying, Go on the road to holiness. You are bringing glory to Christ. I want to conclude with this story. Corey Tim Boom was a young Jewish Christian uh, that had been... Uh, captured and was living in a German concentration camp. She knew that her life was in God's hands. She knew that God was sovereign. She knew that God was in control of her circumstances. And so she was intent on thanking God for the suffering that she was enduring. And so she was trying to keep her eyes on Christ. But then the summer came. And she said, and so did the fleas. And she struggled to thank God because of her misery. But she honored God and she lived contentedly. And then she noticed that the fleas were also keeping the guards away. And she rejoiced even more. And Jesus was glorified. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's more suffering in this room than any of us ever know or could know. God, there is hidden suffering, pains and hurts that uh, have never really truly been expressed. There are emotional heartaches. There are sorrows that words cannot express. But You are sovereign and You have committed Yourself to us by the blood of Your own Son, Jesus Christ. And You have given us this privilege to not only believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake for the benefit of other people. But in so doing, You also benefit us, even though it doesn't feel pleasant at the time. God, I pray that You would fortify our faith Renew our faith. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can rejoice through the trials. So that we can rejoice when we fall into the various kinds of suffering that we cannot escape. Lord, it burdens my heart that there are many who live their whole lives trying to either escape suffering or avoid it altogether. And it becomes its own type of 
burdensome suffering. God, I ask that You would help us to hang on to Jesus Christ for dear life, for He is our life. And so we pray in His name. Amen.